You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. It's good to be with you all. Thanks for letting me be here. Today, we have a banquet story, a humble banquet. It's not given to solidify the standing of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not to puff himself up. The banquet that he's given is not a cheap trick. It's not some sort of entertainment. The end of the banquet that the Lord Jesus provides is an overabundance of food. God always does more than we could ask or imagine. And the banquet bears witness to the nature of who Jesus is and why it is that he can provide for the physical needs of this crowd, why it is that he can provide for all of your needs, physical and spiritual. The title of my message is Jesus Makes Room for Encouragement. I'm very thankful to Ben for the invitation to be here and for the thought that he put in to this series. I'm grateful to be able to talk a little bit about this passage. As we take a look at this section of Scripture, I hope and I pray and I have been praying for you that it would provide encouragement for all of you. I believe that there is a great deal of encouragement to be found in this section of Scripture through the provision that Jesus offers, through the mission that He calls His disciples to, and through His nature, who it is that Jesus is. So let's first talk about the provision that Jesus offers here in the text. Now, obviously, there's some clear provision. I mean, He feeds the 5,000. That's the whole nature of the story. That's the title of it. It's a famous story. He provides for the physical needs of that whole crowd that are all around there. But that's not the only provision that the Lord Jesus offers in this section of Scripture. And in fact, there's a provision that's given throughout the Gospel of Luke, and that thread is continued here in Luke chapter 9 as Jesus is giving provision of food to people. Let me tell you about what that provision is. Jesus starts with a command. He says to His disciples, you give them something to eat. And this is clearly impossible. This is a clearly impossible command, and the disciples recognize that it's impossible. Luke says that there are 5,000 males here. There are also women and children. If you include all the kids, how many might have been there? 15,000, 20,000 people? It's impossible for the disciples to feed these people, and yet Jesus, throughout the Gospel of Luke, is fond of giving commands that people wouldn't naturally or ordinarily be able to follow. In Luke 5, verse 13, Jesus says to a leper, be clean. Now, the definition of a leper was that they were unclean. In fact, when people would approach them, they needed to cry out, unclean, unclean, because the nature of their skin disease meant that they were always unclean. And if somebody came near to them, they would be unclean as well. It's impossible for a, a leper to be clean. And yet, as Jesus speaks it, he does it, and the leper becomes clean. Just a few verses later in Luke 5, 24, Jesus says to a paralyzed man, get up. Now, that's impossible. The definition of being paralyzed is that you can't get up. That's the whole problem. And yet, when Jesus says it, he does it. And the paralyzed man is able to stand up and walk. Luke 6, verse 10, Jesus says to a man with a shriveled hand, stretch out your hand. Now, the whole definition of having a shriveled hand is that you can't stretch it out. It's shriveled. It's impossible. But as Jesus speaks it, He does it. 
and immediately the hand is restored. Here, Jesus gives another command, give them something to eat, which the disciples acknowledge is impossible. But as Jesus speaks it, he does it, and thousands are fed. But even more impressive, perhaps, than physical healing, even more astounding than feeding 5,000 people, Jesus shows that as he speaks, he has authority even over sin and death. Luke 7, verse 48, Jesus says to a sinful woman, your sins are forgiven. Now, in Luke, she's described as the sinful woman. How is a sinful person whose definition is wrapped up in sin supposed to be forgiven? It's impossible unless Jesus says it. And then in the next chapter, there's a little girl who has died. And Jesus comes to the home of this little girl, and he says, little girl, little child, arise. That's impossible. If somebody is dead, they can't arise, they can't hear, they can't respond, they can't listen. And yet when Jesus says it, he does it. And that little girl rises up again. Jesus loves, loves to give commands and then, give, then loves to give the ability to perform that command. Whatever Jesus says, you see, is true. Whatever Jesus says, he accomplishes, he does. Even if that thing at the moment of Jesus speaking it is definitionally impossible, Jesus does it and it is true. And he says to you, he says to everyone who trusts in him that your sins are forgiven. He says to every person that trusts in him, you are holy and righteous and pure because of the cross and because of the empty tomb. And you might think, well, that is impossible. But when Jesus says it, he does it. And if Jesus says it, it is true. And when so much of the world attempts to make you feel worthless so that you buy their product to make you feel a little bit better, when, when so much of the world tells you that you have to do a little bit more to be the sort of person that can be accepted or received or approved, Jesus says, you are forgiven. You are received as my child. You are accepted. You are redeemed. And if Jesus says it, it's true about you, all of you who trust in him. That's the kind of provision that Jesus alone provides. Not only the miracle of creating, but the miracle of making the command possible. If Jesus says it, it is true. And that should be an encouragement to you today. Here's the second thing that should be encouraging to us is the mission that Jesus gives. Jesus performs the miracle, and then do you see how he invites his disciples to participate in it? He invites his disciples to do it along with him. He says to them two things. First, you give them something to eat, and then he tells them, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each, and then he looks to heaven, and he, get, he speaks a blessing, and then he breaks the food. And in breaking the food, he multiplies it enough to feed the whole crowd that's around. But it's not that he does it alone. Once he breaks it, who does he hand it to? He hands it to his disciples to give it to the crowd, inviting them to participate in the miraculous work that he is doing. This miracle is accomplished by Jesus, and he invites his disciples to participate in it. I love this. And I love how Jesus invites all of us to participate in the miraculous work that he's doing. I love how God invites us to participate in the work that he is doing of caring and providing for his world. 
Martin Luther and the Luther, Lutheran tradition describe our work as being the fingers of God, accomplishing all of the purposes that God intends. That when you and I do our work and when we do it well and when we do it to the glory of God, God is the one who is doing His work and He's allowing us to be the fingers accomplishing that work and that task. This is the way of God. And this makes sense that Jesus would operate in this sort of way because God has always invited His people to participate in His good work. In Genesis 1, God works and rests and then puts the man and the woman onto the earth to fill it and subdue it. Tim Keller notes, the word subdue indicates that though all God had made was good, it was still to a great degree undeveloped. God left creation with deep untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. And so here's something that I hope is encouraging for you today. Regardless of the profession that you're planning to enter, regardless of the work that you're hoping to do, be encouraged. Jesus can and will make use of all of His disciples to join in His miraculous work at the table and everywhere else. But the huge encouragement here, the deepest and most beautiful encouragement is found in the fact that this miracle demonstrates who Jesus is. It demonstrates who Jesus is. Why is this passage encouraging ultimately? Because it shows us who Jesus is. Every gospel has an account of the feeding of the 5,000. It's, it's, uh, it's one of the only things that Jesus does that's repeated in every gospel. I mean, the cross is another one of them, you know. But the feeding of the 5,000 is the only, like, miraculous action that he does that's repeated in every gospel. Now, why is that? Well, because, I mean, this is an act of creation. As Jesus is breaking the bread, He is creating more. He's creating enough to feed all of the crowd. This is an act of creation, and only God can create. If you start breaking apart bread later today, you are going to find that you are not creating any more of it. I can promise you, I see my children do it every single meal. They break apart their bread. There's never any more of it. It's just crumbs everywhere. That's all you're able to accomplish. You're not going to be able to feed Trinity by starting to break apart bread. Only God can, because only God can create. It shows us that Jesus is divine. And in fact, His disciples understood that. Right after this miracle, Peter recognizes it and confesses for the first time in the Gospel of Luke who Jesus is. He testifies to the fact that Jesus is the Christ that He's the one that they've been waiting for, the people of Israel have been waiting for and longing for and hoping for. The feeding of the 5,000 demonstrates that Jesus is God, and therefore He is able to save and provide for all who trust and follow Him. And that's the great encouragement for you and for me today, that everyone is invited to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know Him as Savior and Redeemer, as the one who provides, to know Him as God, and know that He's the way maker, that He's the light in the darkness, that He's God. That's who He is. And knowing that, to be invited to another banquet, to another feast, another one provided by the Lord Jesus Christ, invited to the Lord's table. You're all invited. 
Everyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus is invited. You can all come and feast upon the Lord Jesus Christ who offers himself to us in that beautiful, glorious meal. And if you want real, true encouragement, trust Jesus and come to the table. Ah, because there, for you, Christian, oh my goodness, astounding, amazing, perpetual encouragement that is more than enough. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.